0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Burke Review Association, where we break down your favorite books and provide new insight on literary classics. I'm your host, Jessica Tang, and today I'm joined by Rosalind Bautista, Isabella Salazar, Michael Hung Tae, Bailey Wright, Ziki Zhen, and Alex Chow. Together, we dive into Purple Hibiscus by Chima Adichie, a novel that tells the story of a young girl named Kambali as she navigates adolescence religion, and family conflicts. We will be rating the book in a variety of categories on a scale of 1 to 5 purple hibiscuses. Please write a review and let us know how you would rate purple hibiscus and which book you want us to review next. Enjoy the show! Our first guest is Rosalind, who will come and talk to us about characterization in purple hibiscus. Rosalind, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jessica. Today I'll be talking about
1: characterization. In Adichie's novel, Purple Hibiscus, readers meet Cambly, a 15 year old Nigerian girl who serves as the story's main character and narrator. Cambly guides readers through her first hand thoughts and experiences that come as a result of living in a post colonial Nigeria. One of the first people close to Cambly that readers meet is Beatrice, Cambly's mom. From the beginning of the story, Beatrice, or Mama, is described as being a quiet and submissive wife to Eugene, Cambly's dad. She maintains his attitude for the majority of the story, despite the fact that she is constantly beaten to the point of having miscarriages, sees her children get beaten almost daily, and has her whole life controlled. Mama copes with this abusive situation by meticulously cleaning her collection of ceramic ba- ballerina figurines after every beating these figurines are her only escape but when papa becomes upset with a disobedient jaja and tries to throw his missile he misses and hits mama's figurines this is a breaking point for mama who doesn't buy new figurines the shattering of these items that acted as a sort of safety blanket for her represent her becoming fed up with eugene's abuse and control so much so that she begins to poison and eventually kill him Another pivotal character in the story is Cambly's auntie Afem- Afema. Despite being Eugene's sister, Auntie Afema couldn't be any more different than her brother. She's presented as an outspoken, independent, and stubborn woman who refuses to let Eugene get whatever he wants. She even pushes him to allow Cambly and Jaja to visit her family in Insuka, and even criticizes him for mistreating their father, Papa Nuku. She also so shows Cambly that one can be a Catholic and still honor one's Nigerian roots, a notion that is controversial as she refuses to fully assimilate to British colonialism. Overall, Auntie Fame is presented as a more stereotypically feminist character, as she refuses to remarry when widowed and instead raises her kids by herself, is a fearless professor, and most importantly, stands up for herself and her family no matter what. She truly is a character that breaks barriers. Father Amadi is another character in Adichie's story who represents a key piece of Cambly's development. He is a young, attractive, thoughtful, and vibrant Catholic priest that Cambly falls in love with. Like Auntie Afema, Father Amadi also shows Cambly that she can sing Igbo songs and follow Nigerian traditions while still being Catholic and honoring the church. He also helps her grow her confidence by making sure to specifically ask how she is doing, taking her to his games with the neighborhood boys, and even paying for her to get her hair braided. In general, he pays her a special type of attention that Cambly fails to receive in every other part of her life. As a result, he serves a role of both a love interest and role model, as Cambly's crush on him helps her learn how to laugh, speak up, and come out of her shell as a whole. Even when just examining three of Aditi's characters, it is clear that she creates a world full of complex and interesting characters, all of which play a key part in the story's development. For this reason, I must give Aditi's story a 5 out of 5 hibiscuses when it comes to characterization.
0: Thank you so much, Rosalyn. Next, we will be hearing from Isabella as she dives deep into the themes in Purple Hibiscus. Isabella, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Jessica. Throughout the novel, there are many different themes, but I want to touch on religion, power, and independence. Papa has a strict Catholic lifestyle, which he imposes onto his family. Regarding religion, he is a ruthless dictator. Where religion gives many people hope and freedom, Papa restricts and maintains order with a white man's standard. Papa denies all other religions, believing that if it isn't led by a white man, it isn't correct. Papa uses religion in order to take power from others and keep him at the top. We see this with domestic violence in his household. This leads us into the theme of power. The power in the novel is held by Papa until the very end. With his financial status in his village, he is seen as a provider for everyone, and with that comes a lot of pressure that he takes out on his family. Although Papa uses religion as his excuse for beating his children and wife i think the reason he beats them is because of all the responsibilities and stress he has he just doesn't want to admit that and get help because he doesn't want to seem weak which is horrible and causes his family to live in fear of him the only thing i think the author could have done better was that calmly should have let go of the power her father had over her completely by the end of the novel because we see that at the end she talks about how she still sees her father in dreams and feels his presence looming over her think it would have shown her true growth and independence if she had let go of him and stopped having those, like, visions of him. Doing that would have shown how much she really has grown. And this was shown specifically on the visits to Auntie Afima where Kambali and Jaja really have a transformation. Although Kambali is still worried about what her father thinks, his power over her isn't strong enough to stop her from seeing Father Amadi anymore. She is confident in herself to make her own decisions. Jaja shows his independence by losing his faith and no longer believing because his father tells him to. He is able to form his own opinions about religion. And because of this, I would give themes in Purple Hibiscus four to five purple hibiscuses because I feel like the author did a really good job of carrying the theme all the way from the beginning to the end and the only thing I would change was what I talked about before about Kambali and her independence but overall I think that the author did a really good job with themes.
0: Thank you Isabella. Next we will be hearing from Michael. He will be talking about the symbols in purple hibiscus. Michael, thank you for being here.
3: Thank you for having me here, and thank you to our amazing host, Jessica. When reading through Purple Hibiscus, the author points out many symbols that include the book's name being Purple Hibiscus, Papa's love sips when he drinks tea, the walls and fences that surround everything, and then lastly, Mama's figurines. But my main focus today will be between the hibiscus and love sips. So why did Adichie choose the name Purple Hibiscus, and what does it represent? In her story, we discover that Kambili's auntie has a garden of these budding purple hibiscus. Jaja takes a major interest in these flowers, and even tending to them when he could. Auntie tells us the reason that the hibiscus was purple was because her friend had been experimenting on the red variant. Later in the book, when Jaja and Kambili come home, Jaja defies their father by not taking the commune, and it is quoted by Kambili that Jaja defiance seemed like auntie's ifoma's experimental purple hibiscus, rare, fragrant, with the undertone of freedom. The purple hibiscus represents the beginning of freedom and and independence for the kids sought after after because of how strict their father has been on them. Its color, being out of the ordinary, shows uniqueness and a sort of freedom that can only be found through change and hard work, which is why the book is called Purple Hibiscus, to tell the story of growing up and finding your individuality. Now, what's really intriguing me about the book is Papa's so-called love sips. We've noticed how Kambili believes that this is how her Papa shows his affection through letting her sip his tea. And she does this because she wants the reassurance that she actually is loved. However, there's much more darker connotation to it. Kambili often gets burned by how hot the tea is, therefore making her think that love is meant to hurt. But this is not the symbol at all. Matter of fact, I think it goes even further. We know that Kambili's father is a very powerful businessman. With this, we conclude that this relationship with his daughter goes back to days of kings and their servant. Where the kings were always paranoid of their food, like how Kambili's father was paranoid about his tea. Even with all of his power and money, he could easily be killed off. So like a king would, he makes his servants bring the tea and then drink it. Kambali drank the tea instead of himself, demonstrating how Papa is paranoid and suspicious early on in the book. Overall, I believe that Miss Adichie did an amazing job with her symbols and how deep they really went. <laughs> or maybe I'm just going crazy and overthinking them. But the thing I would change was to go a lot more in-depth about the hibiscus. That is all. The book was great, and I give it 4 teacups out of 5 purple hibiscuses. Thanks for having me on, Jessica.
0: Thank you, Michael. Next, we will be hearing from Bailey, who will be talking with us about the believability in this novel. Bailey, welcome to the show.
4: Purple Hibiscus is a story that deals heavily with domestic abuse, and it crosses a line where the scenes of domestic abuse stop being believable and start becoming gratuitous. In the family, all actions are underlined by the threat of a severe, endangering physical abuse. Likely, the thing that readers will remember most about Papa is his extremely violent tendencies towards the family, but the narrative puts very little weight on the subject. For example, when Kimbele is almost beaten to death by her father, its place in the story expires extremely quickly, an event that should be monumental, or at the very least have a degree of weight to it, is mentioned for the last time a chapter later, not even being the inciting incident for the poisoning. The incident did not change anybody's opinions on anything, and it is quickly forgotten about narratively. That is because the scenes and mentions of abuse are not for the sake of the narrative, they're characterization for the audience's benefit. These moments are not saying anything about the story other than that Papa is willing to use violence on those closest to him, a trait that had already been well-established. Abusive actions are not isolated, and the novel's lack of interest in the effects of abuse betray a disregard for the toll of abuse. The lack of resolution or inter-character dialogue surrounding the abuse cannot be chalked up to being normalized because there is one character who thinks about it constantly. That character is Kim As a novelist from her perspective, we as readers have to assume and expect that her thinking back on all the instances of abuse is supposed to be from her real experience, and not the relating of a distant narrator. If this abuse was normalized, then Kimbele's inner monologue wouldn't give the scenes the drama and weight that an audience that is repulsed by abuse would. But these scenes are not conveyed matter-of-factly, they are narrated as if they were traumatic. But the trauma of them only lasts as long as it is narratively convenient at which point the author moves on to the themes that they are truly interested in exploring. It is my belief that the abusive nature of Papa started out as a much more mundane event, but during the writing process, the author felt that there should be escalation, which quickly led to a misappropriation of the subject matter. I give this book 2 out of 5 hibiscuses for believability.
0: Thank you, Bailey. Next... Ziki will provide a counter-argument to Bailey's argument about the believability in Purple Hibiscus. Ziki, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show.
5: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. While Bailey's argument definitely makes a lot of sense because abuse is a very complex and personal topic, I argue that if you consider the abuse within the context of the book's themes, it makes sense. I don't think that the abuse is necessarily out of place in the story. Not only does Adichie show the destructiveness that abuse has on the characters and its lasting effects, the abuse is also a symbol of a lot of things in a novel. It's connected to the destructive power of religion, the idea of silence, of order, of authority and tyranny. It also exists to serve as a stark contrast to Aunt Ifeoma's family. The most obvious thing about the abuse is how they affect the characters. Mama, Jaja, and Kambali are submissive. They never speak up. And it makes sense why they don't speak up. It's all they have ever known. It's their way of life for basically Jaja and Kambali's entire life. They grew up with an overwhelming sense of silence and fear. Yes, nobody ever explicitly speaks out against the abuse, even after Jaja and Kambali reveal it. But I believe the abuse is still clearly portrayed as bad. Kambali is excessively silent, does not know how to interact with Pierce her own age, and is deprived of basically all forms of entertainment, like the TV, radio, and not even knowing where the fun places in her neighborhood is. I suspect Kambali's love, which I believe was pretty uncomfortable, for Father Amadi, partly came from how she was just so deprived of a loving father figure in the sense that Father Amadi provided. As cliche as it sounds, Purple Hibiscus was Essentially a story about a young girl learning about the power of love and standing up for herself. However, even when the novel ends, things don't end happily. The big twist is, of course, that Mama was actually poisoning Papa this whole time. It's tragic, but fitting. It harkens back to how abuse can breed violence and tragedy. In the end, Jaja turns away from everything in his old life. Papa, Catholicism, even Kambale herself. His relationship with Kambali completely deteriorates, rejecting quote-unquote their language of the eyes. It's tragic, because even though he stands up for himself and even sacrifices for mama's sake, he rots in jail. Sometimes, there is no happy ending. On the other hand, Kambali is finally free to do whatever she wants. She now embraces Catholicism in a wholly different light, now understanding the laughter and joy that Catholicism can very well provide. And, weirdly enough, unlike Jaja, she still holds Papa in her heart. People respond and change in different ways. In terms of the believability, I personally think as long as the abuse is important to the story, then it is not out of place. As I discussed in this segment, the abuse deeply impacts the characters, their worldview, their conflicts, and their growth. However, since I believe that the abuse is emphasized in a way that's more so for the sake of the story than anything else, I'm going to give the portrayal of the abuse four purple hibiscuses out of five.
0: Thank you, Ziki. And lastly, I will be joined by Alex as we have a conversation about the significance of this novel. Alex, welcome to the show. I want to talk a little bit about both the significance of Purple Hibiscus and the very interesting TED talk that the novel's
6: author, Chimamanda Adichie, gave nearly two decades ago. In her TED Talk, she starts out by explaining how, at a young age, quote, I wrote exactly the kinds of stories I was reading. All my characters were white and blue-eyed, they played in the snow, they ate apples, and they talked a lot about the weather, how lovely it was that the sun had come out, none of which is applicable to her because she lived in Nigeria. At some level, then, I think young E.J.'s westernized mentality, a worshipping of these European cultural features and regurgitating them is similar to Kambali's father in Purple Hibiscus because Papa is fascinated by Western culture and it's sort of an obsession. For example, Kambali says, quote, Papa changed his accent when he spoke, sounding British. He was gracious in the eager to please way that he always
0: definitely. I think in doing so, Papa is hoping to personally garner the same success and glory achieved by Western cultures. Similarly today, in America and throughout many places in the world, Western culture is the norm or even model example. And because of that, minorities and immigrants in America oftentimes may have an inner desire to conform to these kinds of standards and be more white, maybe by straightening out their hair or wearing American style clothing or by otherwise conforming to white beauty standards. But we need to do better in showing the beauty of all kinds of practices in people. There's nothing wrong with Papa Nuku's religious practices, Kambali's natural unplated hair, or traditionalist funeral. I think once Papa and we as a society stop glorifying certain cultures over others is when we can truly celebrate and recognize the beauty of diversity. To me, that kind of message really resonates, and I admire this kind of progressive attitude that we can draw from the novel.: Yeah. On that note, about the various constitutions and beauties of different groups of people, Adiché describes in her TED Talk the importance of learning about various cultures and countries
5: holistically, and of the dangers of a single story. She says that, quote, "The problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue." Personally, I think she does a great job of
6: defying the single story through Purple Hibiscus. Adichie defies conventions and stereotypes by creating a narrative about a very well-off, highly educated, primarily English-speaking African family, very westernized, as opposed to aligning with the widely held belief that Africans are poor, insufficiently educated, etc., Instead of writing about the scarcity of water or government corruption, the latter of which is in the novel, but just not heavily focused on, Adichie gives Kambali a more universal um, coming-of-age struggle. You know, she falls in love, she finds clarity on religion, and she has conflicts with a parent. And through The Purple Hibiscus, Adichie challenges stereotypes and builds a story with layered characters whose challenges are not uh, what they're next will be but how to find their voice and how to find happiness it really expands the spectrum
0: with which readers now view africans yeah i totally agree uh frankly i'm in awe of how modern and contemporary this novel is and how defined find a dj is against readers ex- expectations about a novel about nigerians it is very modern and very unique and i truly enjoyed reading this novel i think it provides some amazing perspectives and powerful messages and it offers clear relevance to today, which is why I would put it among the ranks of some of my favorite literary works of all time. I would like to end our conversation with a quote that I find really meaningful in the novel. Kambali says, Nusuka should, could feel something deep inside your belly that would rise up to your throat and come out as a freedom song, as laughter. Um, not only is this quote a really good summary of the entire book as a whole, but I would also describe the literal messages of the book that way. Purple hibiscus frees something deep inside readers' bellies that rises up to their throat and comes out as a freedom song. While maybe not as laughter, we are reminded of some issues that we continue to face today and now have the chance to understand that at a deeper level. So that concludes our podcast. Um, I hope you all enjoyed, and you learned something new. Um have a great day and we will catch you in the next one. Bye.